Exodus chapter 18. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land, and the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father, said he, was mine help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses in the wilderness, where he encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee, and thy wife and her two sons with her. My friends, we're looking uh, this evening at this uh, 18th chapter as we continue our studies uh, in this book, this marvelous book of uh, Exodus. Historical book, we have to remind ourselves, not uh, just stories, but a historical account of what God did uh, to deliver his people out of Egypt and to bring them on to the promised land, to Canaan. A picture, a type of what Christ would do for sinners, that he would bring them out of the world, out of bondage to sin, out of a life of misery and of pain in this, in this world, bring them to himself, to conversion, to faith, in Jesus Christ. That's what uh, his, uh, that, that picture is, a word of redemption uh, that uh, comes through so very clearly uh, in this book of Exodus. Well, last week we looked at Israel and they just had their first taste of victory, had their first battle, and now uh, they have with Amalek, Amalek and the Amalekites, and they had their first taste of victory in that battle at Rephidim, a victory it was not gained through their own hand, but in answer to prayer. Moses up there praying on the mount, Joseph down in the battle. Well, from that high point of a battle scene, we move now to a rather lower point, it seems, of a family uh, encounter and a f rather f personal account, a rather f uh, a family-oriented account, and it seems... Uh, what can be got out of this, and yet even out of this chapter and this particular visit of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, uh, so much really also can be said. You'll notice as you read through the chapter that Moses says hardly anything about the reunion with his wife, Zipporah, and the two daughters. The father-in-law has come from Midian, where, where his daughter wa uh, was, and the two kids I don't know how old actually they were. Could have been a bit older than kids, but uh, where the two children were, bring them back. Uh, brings them back uh, to uh, Moses here at Mount Horeb, which is actually Mount Sinai, and uh, yet Moses doesn't actually go into any detail about that encounter with his wife and his two children, who he hasn't seen uh, for a long time. All the focus, it seems to be, is on his father-in-law and the conversation that he has with his uh, father-in-law. And he goes into great detail about this, even the way that he greets him, verse 6, when, he's, when he saw him 
uh, rather verse 7, when Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, did obeisance and kissed him as it was in the custom of the time. And they asked each other of their welfare before going into the tent. So a lot is made uh, of uh, this meeting and uh, to have lessons for us, perhaps with Zipporah and his two sons as reserved for a more private moment in the privacy of their tents. But this was just, wasn't just a family visit, not just one relative bringing the, other, the, the wife and the two children to Moses. It wasn't just the, this. It was something more uh, to this. This visit proved to be a very beneficial one, especially uh, for Moses. And uh, it would be a, a godsend, we could say, uh, for Moses, because he's got a lot on his plate now, to put it mildly, and through this visit, he's going to get the necessary help that he needs to manage that vast congregation of people who come to him for help and for counsel. He's going to be able to manage it better as a result of Jethro coming and as a result of the advice that he gives uh, to uh, Moses. But it's also going to be a blessing uh, for the people of Israel. Not only is it going to be a help to Moses, it's going to be a help to that vast congregation. Remember, there are two million or, or souls there, and it's going to be uh, helpful to them, as we'll see in a moment. So this visit is a very effective one on the part of Jethro. And friends, that a, is a lesson for us here, isn't it? It was a short, sweet visit, perhaps just a few days. I don't know how long he actually spent there, but by the time he'd left, he'd made a lasting impression upon not just Moses, but Israel, for years to come, and he brought into place this way of dealing with people and of judging things that would continue for a long time and would have been of great help and a great blessing to all. Well, friends, we think of Christ, doesn't it? We think of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, we could say, for a short visit to this earth. He came for just 33 years, and really the bulk of his ministry and his preaching was just in those three, those three and a half years, yet what a lot he did and how effective was his ministry. We still have his words with us today. We still have a record of his works that he has done today in the Bible. We still have especially that effective work of the atonement, the cross on which the Lord Jesus Christ died to take away the sins of any who will look to him and will trust in him, and will have faith in him, and say, Lord, forgive me, take away my sins. That cross work that he did 2,000 years ago is still effective for sinners today. And whoever looks to him today and says, Lord, I believe in, in you. I, I repent of my sins. Save me, cleanse me, wash me, make me a new person. Well, the Lord will do that. Because that uh, atoning work of Christ and yet it was so short, wasn't it? His visit was really, we could say, so very brief. Well, what about ours as well? We could apply for ourselves. Our lives here, even if we live uh, to 70 or 80, uh, God willing, if that's our case, well, how effective are our lives? We want to live for the Lord. 
We want to spend our time for the Lord. We are believers. If we are believers, we don't want to be those who are wasting our days just in living as we were in our unconverted days. We want to be able uh, to leave. We also can leave a smaller mark, not as great a mark as Christ left, but we can leave a smaller mark on our day, on our generation. Some people are very good. They can write books and they leave their mark in that way. You can leave lasting memories in people's uh, minds, what you did for the Lord, and that may inspire people to follow in your footsteps. You never know. If you live for Christ, your life is bound to make an, an impact. Live, friends, to make a difference in your life. Live uh, to do good to others. Live to be a representative of Christ. Live to be helpful to other people, to be kind and gracious. There's so much unkindness in the world today. You can be a kind person, and that will, that will leave a mark even uh, on, uh, of your life uh, to others. Live, as people have said, so as to be missed. You said a lot before in the olden times. Live your life, so live your life, that people will miss you. Oh, where is he? Where is she? She's usually in that chair. She's usually sitting there. Where is she tonight? Cannot see her. Cannot see him. Oh, we, uh, we are to live in this way. Well, friends, uh, this is what this passage really is uh, introducing us to, uh, the visit of Jethro. And we, uh, we begin at verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, a priest of Midian, uh, from the Midianites who were descendants of uh, Abraham. Here is, uh, I believe, a, a true priest of God, one who was a true worshiper of God. We see him later. He's blessing the Lord. He's rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord. That's only spiritual people can do that. Only a person, we could say, who is born again of the Spirit really rejoices in what God does. The unbeliever finds no interest in these things. He finds no delight in what God does. But for the believer, oh, he wants to think about it. He wants to look at it from different angles. He's happy, like Jethro, to hear more detail about what's, what God has done. It's of great interest to uh, his soul. And here we see him also later. He not only blesses the Lord for all that God has done, he also uh, uh, takes a burnt offering in verse 12 and uh, offers sacrifices of thanksgiving uh, to God. So uh, he is a very much a spiritual man, it uh, seems a true priest of God. Well, he'd heard of the miracles in Egypt. He'd heard what God had done. How he heard, I don't know. But the word had traveled fast and had reached uh, even to Midian, which is on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula. So it's quite a distance uh, that this news has traveled. Yet he'd heard, and he is not content with what he's heard. He wants to hear even more. And he has come not only just to send back uh, Zipporah and the two, girl, uh, two children, the two boys. He's also come because he wants to know more about what God uh, has uh, done. Verse 2, he, uh, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, after, after he had sent her back. And then the two sons are named Gershom, uh, who Moses named uh, because he said, I've been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the youngest son, Eliezer, for the God of my father, said he was mine help and delivered me from the sword 
of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness where he encamped at the Mount of God. Uh, and so he's, he's come uh, with this intention not only to send the family back to reconcile uh, the wife and children with, with, uh, with Moses, but also uh, to inquire and to find out more. He's heard about the great miracles in Egypt. He's heard how God preserved his people, though they were in such a perilous position, though they were in such a weak position as slaves uh, in Egypt. He's heard how God still kept them and provided miraculously for them in Egypt and after when they came to the Red Sea and those waters parted between them and they walked straight through on dry land. Oh, they were amazed. He was amazed when he heard all these tremendous things. And he wants to know more. Verse 6, he sends, this sounds a bit strange to us. He said to Moses, I, thy father-in-law, Jethro, am come unto thee and thy wife and her two sons with her. But it's actually, he's saying it in advance. It's not that he's saying he's arrived and he's saying this directly to Moses. But uh, you could read as, I am coming uh, unto thee, instead of I am come unto thee. He sends word via Moses, uh, via a messenger, uh, that he's uh, soon uh, to arrive. And so Moses went out and greeted him. But friends, that's a lesson for us, isn't it? Jethro, so interested in what God did uh, for Israel. He's not coming to congratulate his son-in-law. He's not coming to congratulate Moses and say to Moses, Oh, Moses, you've done a fantastic job. You're my son-in-law. <laughs> Moses, you've been with me 40 years. We have a very good connection. He didn't come to go around the camp and say, You know, Moses, I'm related to Moses. You know, Moses, he's, he's my son-in-law. He didn't say, or he didn't go around with that kind of an attitude. He didn't come to glory uh, in it uh, and to make known his story. He came to hear. He came to listen to what uh, happened. And he wanted a detailed account uh, from uh, Moses. And that's what Moses goes on to provide him. Verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Well, that must have taken a while if he went into detail and all the miracles, all the ten wonders that God had done and, and subsequently. And then he goes on, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord had delivered them. All the travail, that, that word means the distress, the hardship that they had endured in Egypt as well as in the, the wilderness. And you know how even how they, were, they crossed that Red Sea and still there were at least a couple of times when that whole congregation ran out of water and there was no water for them. And then God miraculously provided water the second time when that water came out of the rock, that picture of Christ. And uh, the water flowed like a river out to, uh, to supply uh, all and their need and to refresh them. And also how he provided bread from heaven for them. So it was a wonderful deliverances that the Lord did for them. And he's relating all that he had, uh, the Lord had done. Verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
for our friends. Uh, what, are, uh, what can we say about this? Can we not say, God has been good, uh, uh, Jethro said to Israel, well, the Lord has been good to the church. The Lord has been tremendously good uh, to the church. He has done so much for it. Christ has given his life for the church because he loved the church and he gave himself for it. He has done so much for his people since even that time. We see the wonderful things Christ did in the early church, in the times uh, when the gospel spread like fire throughout uh, the world. And the world was turned upside down through the preaching of this good news that a Savior has come. And people left off their, their idols. And people in the thousands turned to Jesus Christ and found life. Amazing grace. That a message that they never heard before. A message of grace. The simple gospel with simple men with ordinary men, men who'd never been to university. God took those men, and through them, he uh, turned the world upside down. Through this simple gospel of believing and in the Christ and turning from your sins, the world was changed, and many came to know the Savior. And then you look at history, isn't it? If, you're, uh, if you read church history, you only have to realize again and again what wonders God had done, how marvelous things he had done in reviving the church, Often, how many of, for many of us, one of our favorite periods of time is in the 1850s and 60s when C.H. Spurgeon was here in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle and preaching the gospel of grace. And in 1859, there was a revival and, we were, and thousands were being saved by the work of, of God, not the work of a man. But we read about these things and we rejoice even now in the goodness that gives us hope for today. And then you got the 17th century and the, the Great Awakening and so on. George Whitfield and John Wesley and so many other instances. The, the revival in Wales. All these things are such of interest to the believer. And we want to talk about it. And it gives us joy when we do. And we rehearse it and speak of it. And we rejoice uh, in it. But even what God is doing uh, in, uh, in, the, in the church uh, today. Tell out my soul the goodness of the Lord. Isaiah 66 verse 10 says, Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Jerusalem there being a picture of the church. Rejoice and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that also mourn for her. Well, friends, do we know? Are we as believers acquainted with what's happening with the church in our land. What kind of a state is our church in? Not I'm talking about our local church, but generally the church in the United Kingdom. How is it with the church here and abroad? How is it with uh, churches in other lands? Oh, friends, it's sad to say there is little cause for us to rejoice about what's happening in our land. There's not much that we can look at, but are we familiar? Do we know what's happening? It's incumbent upon us, we could say, to have, as believers, to have a, a concern for the kingdom of God and to be concerned about what is happening. So whether it's something terrible that's happening, then that causes us to mourn as Nehemiah did when he heard about the walls of Jerusalem being broken down and he resorted to prayer and fasting and he was so moved by what he heard and so concerned. Or whether it's to do with some good thing happening. And some church bless, churches being blessed. 
and the gospel being received. And then we rejoice uh, with uh, those people. Well, friends, maybe if we cannot find uh, much joy in the church here, we have to look further abroad, not only our nation, but what is happening in the Far East? What is happening in Africa? What is happening in South America? These are things that we, what is God doing in those places? Because as you read and as you look into these things, you find he's actually doing a lot. A lot more there is happening. A lot more people are coming to Christ there than in our nation, which is very uh, sad for us. But we rejoice that it's going forward elsewhere. Oh, friends, what's happening with our churches? There's such concern, isn't there, in our churches? Uh, is there, uh, do we know the issues? Only this last week, a friend uh, said to me, told me about a good man, a good preacher, sound preacher, but now he's allowing uh, women to come and to lead uh, the worship. And he's, he never used to do that. Uh, he used to hold to the biblical view, which is uh, that you know, uh, a woman uh, shouldn't teach in public. But now he's gone to the other side, and he's opened the door, it seems, for a person, uh, for a lady to lead in public worship. And there, it, of course, it grieves us to hear that uh, such a thing would happen. Well, friends, there's so many other things one could say, but we move on. Jethro, in verse 10, said... Blessed be the Lord God uh, who, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly he was above them. Did he not know before that the Lord was a, a greater than all gods? Is this a new discovery to him? No, friends. He, of course, uh, he knew who was the true God. But here is fresh evidence for him. Here is a fresh display of the power of the one true God. Where are all those gods of Egypt? Where are all those idols that Pharaoh gloried in? They're no more. They're, they're no more. They're by the wayside. They are ineffective. They were powerless. They're humiliated, we could say. The one true and living God, the God of the Israelites, our God, uh, he is standing. Verse 12, uh, Jethro uh, takes a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And then Aaron uh, came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before uh, God. Well, then <coughs> we move on uh, to, and then in the last verses, uh, 13 to the end, we see Jethro's wise advice uh, to Moses. Verse 13, it came to pass the very next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood by Moses from the morning all the way unto the evening. Oh, that must have been a very a long day and a very exhausting day. There was Moses adjudicating in disputes among the people, acting as a judge, the only one uh, who was... Uh, Addressed only one whom people came to see. All disputes, all contentions, it seems, were brought to him. Civil matters were brought to him. Spiritual matters were brought to him. And even perhaps there was some debate about who that spoil from the Amalekites belonged to. 
And uh, one brother said, came to Moses and said, divide the spoil. Tell my brother to divide the spoil in such a way. And Moses couldn't say like, our Lord, well, who made me a divider over you? He was a divider and a judge uh, over the people. And so he sat in that position and uh, he was doing this time-consuming task as a, a mediator day in and day out. He had to hear first one side and all that story that one person said and then another side and hear what that person then come to decision. It was a long process and it was a, a very a time-consuming process. Hear from the plaintiff, hear from the def defendant and then there was that long queue uh, of people who'd be waiting to see him. I think it was harder to see Moses than to see your GP today. <coughs> your GP, you have to wait, what, four weeks? Maybe longer to see your GP? I think that to see Moses must have been even longer. And then often it must have been delayed because he never knew how long. He couldn't just allot ten minutes to you and then move on from there. He had to, uh, probably things prolonged and things had to be cancelled. Appointments had to be cancelled and moved uh, to the following day and so on. So Jethro sees and all these things. He observes all these things happening. And look at what he says uh, to Moses. When he saw all that he did, verse 14, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? The people also were getting a little bit fed up, we could say, at having to wait at such a long time, and frustrated, just like we do when we wait for that a GP appointment, and get annoyed. And the same thing was happening to them. So it wasn't just Moses. Also the people were being affected. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and the other, and I do make them know the statutes of God and uh, his laws. Verse 17, Jethro said, the thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee, Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. You're going to be exhausted, uh, he tells uh, Moses. You're going to burn out uh, if you continue in this way. You're going to wear yourself out, Moses. You're taking far too much upon yourself. And the people also are tiring as well. They have to wait such a long time to have their case heard. And they also are getting frustrated Justice is being delayed. You're not able, Moses, to perform this alone. It's good, isn't it, when you can have people like that who are perceptive enough uh, to see uh, that there's a better way of doing things. Now, we, we're not really much into innovation in the church here, and uh, we shouldn't be in the church. We believe, believe in sticking fast to the old paths and the paths that God has revealed and instructions that he has given, and certain things we will not change. People ask us to change the way we worship. Well, we say, why? Is it a biblical way that you're asking us to worship? If it is, well, then we would change, but we feel it's not. But when people ask us to bring in the bands and the, the choruses and, and the other things, but perhaps there are some areas we, make, we can improve in. We think of uh, administration and the way we uh, administer things in the church, perhaps there are some things that we could do more efficiently. And it's good if, when we have some perceptive people who are able to point these things out. Verse 19, 
uh, here's the advice. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. In other words, he's going to say, delegate the lesser disputes, the minor ones, to others to judge. And the tricky ones, the difficult, the complex situation, uh, situations, let those uh, be brought to you. And then you can take those to God in prayer. And you can find out what God's mind is in the matter. And then you, once you find out, you can relate it uh, back to the people. And uh, this practical advice, uh, he then goes on to, to say, this is what you should do. And he gives him uh, a, a twofold practical advice here in verse 20. Firstly, teach them, teach that is the people, the ordinances and laws, and show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Teach the people for themselves the commandments. Instruct them in how they are to walk and instruct them in how they are to work. And then secondly, appoint uh, judges uh, to administer the justice. Verse 21, moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as, look at this, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Not, not those who are, have done well in their business, but these are spiritual men. Able men, yes, able to hear, able to discern, but also they have this spiritual characteristic about them. Verse 22, let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter that they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. So Jeth Jethro uh, gives this advice, and in uh, verse 23, he, he doesn't say, this is what you should do. He says, take it to God. Look at it, verse 23. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so. If you think God is leading you in this way, if you feel that this is the will of God, then uh, follow this advice. Then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place uh, in peace. And so... He applies uh, this counsel. And uh, verse 24, So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Not immediately, but uh, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, which uh, soon follows. And verse 25, Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, uh, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. Oh, friends, how can we apply this to ourselves? And it is relevant, I think, as well for us uh, today. Firstly, we could say, just three points here. Uh, firstly, we could say, pastors shouldn't take too much upon themselves. Pastors may be prone to take a lot upon themselves, but they shouldn't be, as Moses did here, and think that everything depends upon them. We're in a church setting. Everything doesn't depend upon the pastor. The pastor doesn't have to be involved in every nook and cranny of what happens uh, in the church. He needs to be probably aware 
of what's happening in the church. But he doesn't need to sit on every single meeting and decide what should happen and what should happen. There are smaller things and points of administration which there are other people who are more able and capable probably to do it than he does. And he mustn't uh, take on um, more if he, he may be given uh, too much uh, to do by others. Well, and he himself may mean well, but he may also, as a result of this kind of uh, ministry, he'll wear out. He'll burn out. And that's what's happening, friends. We read in America, uh, the figures, over 30% of uh, young ministers who enter into the ministry burn out after just a few years. Too much is given to them, and uh, they cannot endure it anymore, and, and they have to uh, leave. They have to do all, all sorts of things. The church, friends, is sure to suffer spiritually. I'm not saying this happens to me here. Okay, it, it doesn't. I've, uh, I'm well supported. But the church is sure to suffer spiritually if the pastor has to preach and counsel and do the finances and tech support and the administration and the evangelism and uh, attend all those deacons' meetings all on his own if he's got to do all these things where he's not going to have much time for prayer and for sermon prep. Remember Acts 6 and uh, a similar scenario there where the, the widows, the Greek widows are being neglected and the, the word came to the apostles and said, uh, the Greek widows are not receiving the daily food uh, sustenance that they are entitled to. And they, the apostles didn't say, well, we'll do it. We'll take it upon ourselves. They chose out seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and entrusted them uh, with this task of uh, feeding the Greek uh, widows. And they were the first uh, deacons. And what did they say? Will you do these things? For we ourselves, we're going to commit ourselves, we're going to give ourselves uh, fully to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We're going to concentrate there on the spiritual side of the church. Second, uh, the second piece of advice that uh, Jethro gave, sorry, the second application is uh, Jethro's advice gave opportunities to others to use their God-given gifts. Perhaps Moses was surprised to find, oh, I didn't realize there were so many God-fearing people amongst us. I didn't realize there were so many able and capable men in this congregation. Perhaps he was pleasantly surprised to find out uh, these things. Uh, but uh, in the local church as well, friends, it's not a one-man show. It's not a two-man show. It's every part of the body, every believer doing their part as they are able and as health uh, permits. Uh, all members, as Paul says, are working uh, together for the edification of the church. Every member are uh, using their God-given ability to help promote the Lord's name and the Lord's kingdom wherever they are. Not everyone can preach, but uh, everyone can do something uh, for the Lord, can make a contribution for their local church. Well, how wonderful it would be to see every a believer active and working in such a way. And then finally, we see uh, uh, Israel benefited from the new order. Disputes and quarrels were quickly resolved, and so, the and so also, and the people then would have been happy, so also the local church. And uh, it benefits from order. If there's a disordered service, 
Many people go to the meeting, they don't know what's going to happen. Some people glory in it and say, oh, that's the Holy Spirit, it's wonderful. We don't know what's going to happen. No, friends, that's not the God of order. The God of order does things in a proper way, just like uh, happened here. And uh, when, we, when, when there is order in the church, people like it. Children, we say, isn't it? We say, children like order in the home. And believers like order in the church. That's the way it should be. But everyone uh, playing their part. If somebody is not pulling their weight, it means that more has to be done by another person, perhaps uh, much more. So friends, even from such an ordered uh, state, an ordered church, uh, people find joy and happy, and they're happy to come and happy to be in such a, a, a congregation. Well, verse 27, Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. What a blessing that short visit was, and what a lot was accomplished for him and uh, for Israel and for the Lord. Well, may the Lord bless us uh, in these things. Amen.